there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 As hard as you were working today, you get an extra helping of organic turkey this coming Thanksgiving because you've earned it. You've earned it, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's either that or, uh, uh, let's say, GMO salmon, which I don't think you're going to be serving it at your home. I am not. And I'll tell you, that's one of the biggest concerns is the fact that we don't know what's in our foods as far as you know, the GMO aspect. You just don't know. That's one of the things that the U.S., you just never know. You can think you're eating the best food, the healthiest food, the cleanest food, and you just don't know, and that's, that's the part that I don't get in the land of the home and the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah. We can't know what we're eating. The home of the FDA, the protection racket for Monsanto, Syngenta, DuPont, and the like. Uh, we actually opened this with stories today, Super Don and I, uh, talking about the fact that FDA says there really is no difference and they don't want to, to market uh, uh, GMO salmon as genetically engineered salmon because it looks the same, it tastes the same, it has the same biology. And then they're saying if they're genetically engineered plants, they're still the plants, so you can't call them GMO plants. You have to say that they're a, a, a laurate-enhanced canola oil or something weird like that. I mean, literally, they're bending over into, into pretzels to try and convince people of what they cannot be convinced of. There's something in the gut, in the, in the very genetic integrity, what's left of this species that knows that engineering food this way is wrong. Yep, you're absolutely right. And it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a Monsanto scientist to know that. <laughs> no, of course, the Monsanto scientists aren't even eating in their uh, the, their products in their own cafeteria, which we've known about for years as well. And, it, you know, it shows the, the cognitive dissonance or disconnect. And, of course, the regulators and the businessmen and such it, that they are, it's about the stock pricing as opposed to, uh, well, the, the salvaging of, of the people on the planet who, who will, uh, will not survive that many generations more of this kind of food degradation. Right. The sustainability of this uh, entire movement, it, it's not sustainable at all. In fact, the, when you look at just the agricultural system in our country, it's not sustainable. But then when you start looking at the model of how it's being implemented and how it's being incorporated into our food systems, uh, it is not sustainable for the human species. It's not sustainable for any species, except for maybe cockroaches. <laughs> they seem to be able to handle it. And, uh, you know, Twinkie monsters that will be here long after we're gone. Uh, but, you know, listen, uh, this, what do we say about this? When you go out to eat, I mean, my goodness, Jeffrey Smith, my good friend, who's, you know, the champion on planet Earth for trying to say, let's stop this GMO madness. I mean, his his questions, I mean, he'll go in if he's out and he travels a lot. If he goes into a restaurant, he's going into the kitchen. He's going to see what oils they're using, if they're using sweeteners, what are they? I mean, he's going he's gonna to pin them down on genetically engineered ingredients because, you know, people don't realize how serious this is. Now, uh, a, a fast food chain like Chipotle comes out and says, we are actively not serving GMOs to you, cleaning up our menu. And they're getting hammered in the mainstream press. They're pretending that there's E. coli everywhere and they can't, you know, CDC can't track down the origin of it. Their stock prices are dropping and, you know, people in the media are celebrating and others that are just into the business side of things will say, hey, it's a good buying opportunity for Chipotle stock because it's gone down. You know, it's going to rebound. 
I mean, the people want cleaner foods, and the fast food chains that are dying are evidence of that. Right, and I think that when you start looking at the, again, we've talked about this before, when you start looking at the history of what makes any type of significant change, historically speaking, in any country, regardless of geographical boundaries or ethnicities, it's always when people demand it, and people demand how they demand with their pocketbooks. They vote with their pocketbooks, and I think that is how it's going to end up having to be. And time will tell, but if, if history is any indicator, it will be not an organization or a scientific society or a governmental body uh, or an association, a professional association. It's going to be when the people demand something different. And at a certain point, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen because there will be enough people that have either been damaged or enough people that are tired of being damaged or having loved ones that are damaged that they'll finally put their foot down. And we see that already happening. We already see in certain industries that already happening. Yeah, well, in a, in a marketplace of ideas, a marketplace of goods and services, I mean, if it were truly a free market, we've talked about the fact that, you know, there would be choice and then you would reject the things you don't want and those companies would fail unless, unless they could buy the influence and the power and the force of a centralized bureaucracy, government, in other words. And what's happened is that a stronger and stronger centralized government and regulatory body exists that supersedes Democrats and Republicans that get stronger no matter who's voted into office. Then you find that these companies that have the wherewithal, the money, the globality of it, because they're so profitable, uh, the ability to influence the legislators and the bureaucracy itself, and they legislate themselves into a monopoly status where they are regulated, and they'll gripe about the regulations on one hand, but on the other hand, they realize they love the regulations because it's, it stifles anybody who would dare to compete with them, for instance, on a natural way, whether it be supplements competing with drugs or whether it be more naturally inclined doctors, physicians of any kind versus those who are licensed allopathically and limited by that allopathic cage to do only drugs and nothing else. And so we've seen this that kind of alters the ability for market forces to impact on, for instance, GMOs that would not survive in a real market. Right, and we see that with uh, the same thing in the medical industry, Robert, we talked about this. If doctors were allowed to compete on an even playing ground, then the current, what they call traditional, conventional model would not work. And we know that, because it's just not allowed, it just wouldn't work, because people don't get better, Simple interventions that can change people's lives have dramatic, uh, dramatic improvements on their uh, everyday uh, comfort level. For example, digestive enzymes are supposed to be put on an acid pump inhibitor. Just a simple hmm. little change like that. The one way, which is digestive enzymes, that somebody who's looking at trying to reestablish the body's natural state, that's going to be the first and foremost thing that they're going to say as opposed to somebody else. Uh, on the traditional side, they would first use a coating agent like Caraphate and then go on to uh, um, uh, Tagament or Zantac, and then if that doesn't work, then go on to a Prilosec or some other type of pump inhibitor. That model, for example, is the same thing. Those doctors, if digestive enzymes, something as simple as digestive enzymes with no side effects, with no significant cost, could make a difference in a person that quickly, that easily, within 24, 48 hours, then more and more patients would go to that doctor as opposed to the doctors, the patients that go to the doctor that are prescribing the 
uh, H2 blockers or the acid pump inhibitors because those patients aren't going to get better. They're going to have recurrent symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. So now you need, looking at that, those two markets, you're going to start seeing that there's a preponderance of individuals seeking out the doctor that's got a cheaper intervention that works faster with no side effects with a, with a um, definitive resolution as opposed to another one who's using a more expensive option that's inhibiting uh, the reactions of the body, preventing certain things from happening, having secondary side effects, where is the, where is the uh, logical individual going to go? It's going to be word of mouth. People are going to start going to that doctor that's trying to reestablish a normal balance. So it's in every industry, GMOs, medicine, same thing mechanic. you got a good mechanic, you got a bad mechanic. People are going to go to the good mechanic because a good mechanic has faster outcome, uh, less breakdowns afterwards. He's going to, you know, it's not going to be as expensive and he's going to have a better result, et cetera, et cetera. They can't compete on the same level. So because they can't compete on the same level, what do they do? They take the good mechanic down. They take the, the, the good doctor down. They try. You know, sure. They create industry standards. Uh, that are pro- I mean, compounding pharmacy right now, it's unbelievable what you have to do to get IV medication or IV supplements for your patients to give intravenously. Now, when you prescribe or when you give a patient an IV vitamin C, you know, vitamin C intravenously or, or um, minerals intravenously or uh, anything intravenously, glutathione intravenously, Normally, you get them from a pharmacy. Compound pharmacy makes it, they send it to you, you give it to the patient. Now, they've gone to the uh, mandate where the compounding pharmacies have to get the name of the patient, the date of birth of the patient, the phone number of the patient, the address of the patient that's coming in for an IV treatment. And then they, you have to, the doctor has to now send in the requisition for the IV component per patient. So every time we order a vial of something for our patients, and, you know, we're getting 20 vials of this, 30 vials of this, 40 vials, whatever it is, we have to now put down the patients, their date of birth, their addresses, their phone numbers of each individual patient that we're prescribed to the compounding pharmacy. What are they afraid? They're going to become addicted to the IV? I mean, this is not an opiate drug. It's, it's, it's vitamin C or it's glutathione, it's you know, minerals, whatever. It's just unbelievable. And here's the thing. If a patient is a long-term course, for example, EDT, okay, for chelation, or somebody's minerally depleted, or one of the cancer patients we're treating, we have to get vitamin C, 10 vials of vitamin C. We have to put down the name of the patient on, te- you know, 10 different times to send it to the compounding pharmacy. So now look at the, look at what they're doing. If you want to, if you want to prescribe a drug, you just go, you write, you know, your doctor prescribes it, gives it to the patient, you're done. But for us to be able to now give a patient a healthy substance, the number of steps that have to go through. I'm not talking about oral vitamin C now. I'm talking about IV vitamin C. you got to write it, unfortunately, order for the nursing staff. The nursing staff has to do their normal stuff in-house. But now they have to send compounding pharmacy a list of the patient with all this information per bottle, by the way. Then the compounding pharmacy has to verify. Then the compounding pharmacy can release it to the doctor. Then the doctor gives it to prescribe it to the patient. So if you understand really what this is, the best analogy would be if you normally would go out and buy tires for your car, now, in order for the tire company to sell you tires for your car, the tire company has to contact the car manufacturer, you have to give the serial number of the car, you have to give the, the make and model, the, this, that, the other, then the tire manufacturer has to go back and, and make sure that the car is authorized to drive, that the VIN number is adequate, that it's got insurance on it, that it's, um, you know, placed or valid before they'll issue you the tires. I mean, right. that's, that's and you know what happens to the price of that that hundred dollar tire? That price becomes a three hundred dollar tire. Exactly. Yeah. 
And then, I mean, and then they're mm. creating, then they're creating their, their victims because they don't adhere to those rules and regulations. Then they're trying to take you out. Yeah. Well, again, if they wanted to slow the growth of physicians who are doing more integrative type therapies that are bringing people back from the brink by not further intoxicating them, but by detoxifying them, by neutrifying them, uh, this is one of the ways to slow that thing down. Make it so expensive that only a few can afford it. And, of course, put those doctors out of business as fast as possible. We got some good diet information after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. All right, links are up in the show notes at robertscabell.com. Of course, every week we do advanced medicine here with Dr. Rashi Bittar. One of the ways you can get uh, easy access to archives, going back in years now, hundreds of episodes, uh, you go uh, medicalrewind.com, medicalrewind.com. And Op-Ed does the notes. He picked the picture of you when you used to have a lot of hair on your head today, Dr. Bittar. He must be, I don't know what he's thinking, but uh, good-looking picture. <laughs> who, who, who picked that, Don? No, no, we have an assistant producer, Op-Ed. He's in, he's in the Army. He's getting out of the Army soon. Young guy, he's a millennial, very bright. I, I can't wait for you to meet him. You'll like him a lot. But he's been helping the, with the show notes recently. He's doing a lot of writing and research on a lot of topics for us. And a uh, uh, very bright guy. And he picked a, you know one of your younger pictures. So very good. I think you'll like what him. What do you mean one of my younger pictures? I am young. <laughs> Half a century, my friend. I'm a, Here we go. I'm a young whippersnapper. Still good I know. kid. We, we we are we are now the question is if if you and i ate the same thing every day you know we're into organics clean food as such would we respond the same way now you and i both know as 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 healers in our own right that we know each person that comes to us has di- a little bit of different needs now nobody needs to eat garbage food junk food pesticide laden food no, nobody needs to eat gmo foods that's not ideal but if we start with clean good foods if we call them kosher, they, they, they don't have them updated to where we would like them to be in terms of what kosher laws are written like, but non-GMO, pesticide-free, etc. There's a stunning new article based on a study that's headlined this way, Dr. Bittar. Diet study upends everything we thought we knew about healthy food. And they're basically finally coming to the realization of what anybody who is a healer worth his salt would realize that you can't give the same diet to everybody and expect they're all going to do equally well. Not everybody should be on the Atkins diet. Not everybody should be on the Mediterranean diet. Not you know you name the vegan diet. Everybody is unique, and that that's a point that's overlooked with these diets. I guess they're just trying to sell books. Yeah, you know this is a topic that has come up before. We've talked about this before, and that is the difference between genotype and phenotype or genotypic expression Mm -hmm. and phenotypic expression and we seem to forget again we talked about uh dr Uh, bruce lipton last week i think it was maybe six weeks ago about the expression of the genetic code or the expression of the protein when we talk about the expression of the genetic code what we're really talking about is the expression of the protein in response to the environmental trigger and that's really what the phenotypic versus a genotypic component is a genotype is a genotype, meaning whatever your genetic code is, that's your genetic code. I mean, uh, um, your mother had black hair, your father had black hair. Black is um, you talking about my mother? 
Right. Black hair, black hair, black is going to give you a black hair right. child. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there's different components of that depending on you know which type of characteristics you're talking about, whether they're sex-linked or not. But the bottom line is there's certain things that are that are dominant, certain things that are recessive, and if you're homozygous, heterozygous, that will define your genetic code or your genetic ex- your, your genetic expression, if you will. But the phenotypic expression is, has nothing to do with what you have been given by your mother and your father, but more how what you've been given by your mother and father relate to the environment that you're in or the environment within your body that you're creating and how that manifests and, and is expressed. And so it's the phenotypic expression that is the key, and that's why different diets work differently for different people because the diet now theoretically is the environmental trigger. It is what's creating the change that is creating this um, expression that we're seeing. And that's what people don't seem to understand when they're doing these type of uh, book publishing and and creating these type of uh, diets. They they may work great for one person, but they're not going to work great for another person. And the reason is because of that biological individuality, the genetic uniqueness that's inherent within each one of us. But you know how difficult it is for some doctors to get past the one calorie equals one calorie. I mean, I do understand that concept of calorie as a, as a unit of energy, all right? But when you interact with those calories in different packages, again, we get to the environment, conformity, what's causing gene manifestation uh, difference. You know, the different foods do different things, even if they have the same caloric content. It's not the same way you're going to interact with a piece of junk food with the X number of calories and a whole food unprocessed with the same number of calories. Right, that's exactly right. And here's the other part. The way your body responds to a certain type of food substance is going to be dependent upon that genetic and that, that, that genetic component. But that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to end up having the same problem that your mother or your father had. Right. So the reason I'm bringing that up is... Wait, hold that thought. We're on a cliffhanger here, Dr. Batar. We've got to take a break. The reason you're getting that thought, we're going to get that on the other side of this break. You're listening to Advanced Medicine with Dr. Batar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. And Dr. Rashid Bittar, we're just talking about a new study uh, acknowledging what any healer that works and and doesn't do uh, what we call medical collectivism, right? One size fits all drugs, one size fits all um, food, right? And, you know, two people on the same meal plan getting a completely different result. And let's just assume it's all organic, both of them, right? How is that possible? And you were talking, Dr. Tarr, very well about the genotypes and phenotypes and, of course, the gene expression and uh, Bruce Lipton stuff, which we love. But you were getting to a very specific point. I want to get to that because I want people to understand that that is why you must find out what your body is communicating to you. Once your body is healthy enough to communicate properly, right, because if you're gummed up on garbage like I grew up on, your body is sending all kinds of weird signals, and you're scratching your head going, I have no idea what it's saying because it's just everything it's saying is just, it makes no sense to me. And we want our body saying things that make sense, that we can listen to, communicate, and receive it, and then go, oh, I need to do this. I don't need to do that. Right. I, I like that slogan. Uh, I can see that on a T-shirt, gummed up on garbage. I like that. <laughs> yes. Or don't be gummed up on garbage. All right. Uh, yeah, well, the point is that everything that you just said, Robert, and what the study is showing, which it qualifies it, 
definitely to be a moment of duh. Mm-hmm. That is sometimes best. Some, sometimes when a message comes through like this, it's sometimes best expressed with an analogy that makes it simple for people to see the, the thought process from where we, as as healers, are, are looking at it from. At least uh, to help appeal to the intellect of of people that may. I mean, I'm sure some people that listen to this already got it, but there may be some of the people that say, "Well, how is that possible? How is it possible that you can have something that's healthy and and have a response different based upon the fact that the other person's different, but the food is healthy? If it's healthy, it's healthy. How can that be different?" Well, let's let's talk about uh, an example. Let's use a actual analogy. Let's say some, we have a person that tends to be a little bit heavier onset. Just by looking at the body habitus, you would probably suspect that they're probably a little bit insulin resistant. People that are lean, they have a hyper metabolic rate, they usually are very insulin sensitive. Now, again, I'm just using this for analogy. I know that they can be brittle diabetics, insulin type 1 diabetics, sure. they can be very, very skinny. I understand that. But let's just say so there's a heavier set person and, and a slimmer person. They're both eating a very healthy type of diet. Let's say a very healthy, uh, they're, they're having a high. A fruit diet, okay? Now, one person can have that sugar, and you can take a, you can take 50 people across the board, and they can have a normal sugar level intake, not a high sugar level intake, not refined carbohydrates, but just a you know a healthy, uh, natural sugar. From, from food whole food diet. sources, in other words, not refined. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so they have a they have a normal response, and then another person that may be a little bit insulin resistant. They're, even though there's a healthy, natural sugar and it's not refined, it's not all this other garbage in there, their bodies are going to tend to, the, the glucose levels are going to go a little bit higher and their bodies are going to tend to have to go into a little bit of a hyper-metabolic drive, try to drive that insulin, insulin levels are going to go up a little bit higher to drive that insulin into the, into the cells, which is what the job of insulin is to do. Now, that individual, the second individual that may have that um, insulin resistance, they're going to benefit from omega-3 fatty acids because it's going to help them to allow their cell membranes to become more sensitive to the effects of insulin, thus not requiring as much insulin because they're more sensitive to that little bit of insulin in the body and it helps to get the sugar into the cell. Whereas that first person, that uh, omega-3 fatty acids, the same amount of omega-3 fatty acids, because they don't have the need and their cell membrane to, to be sensitive to the effects of insulin, they may end up having a different beneficial effect from those omega-3 fatty acids. Same supplement, same diet, but that diet is going to respond differently in the person because of the genetic individuality, the, the genetic predisposition and their biological individuality. And then they take a supplement like omega-3s, for example, and it's going to have a different effect on their bodies. Both beneficial, but both somewhat different. One, it's going to make their cells more sensitive to the effects of insulin. The other one, it's going to help to um, be cardioprotective or reduce the inflammatory cascade that they may have because their joints are um, uh, uh, have some degenerative joint changes or whatever the case may be. So it's going to inhibit the prostaglandins, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a different cascade, same supplement, same benefit, I'm sorry, same supplement, same person, but different benefits experienced because they have different genetic predispositions and different biological individualities. Yeah, and, and why it take, takes so long to figure this out, I, I think it comes down to the economics like we talked about. If you have a diet book, you want to sell a ton of them, you're going to have to say, this is the best diet ever, come do this, you're all going to get well, right? Until somebody goes, well, that didn't work for me. Does it mean the diet is bad? No, it just means that for you it's not appropriate. 
and, and for someone else, they will excel on it. I mean, there's going to be. And I, I remember uh, talking to Diadamo years ago, the blood type diet guy. I remember him? Right, and right. Because he, he, he would upset the vegans who happened to be an old blood type, for instance, because his observation from his father and to him, he said, listen, these tend to be do better on, on some animal protein. And, of course, the vegans protested. No, 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 that can't be right. He's like, listen, I'm not doing this for political. These are observations I'm reporting. If you want to be a vegan, be a vegan. But if, if it doesn't work for you at some point, you're having some medical issues at some point, you might want to look at what we've observed here. And I think that, you know, you, you overlook those observations at your own peril, even if they don't have, let's say, definitive biomarkers, even though sometimes they do, uh, to, to explain what's happening here. I think it's, it's important to pay attention to what is actually occurring. And in an observational way, that is the basis for all science. That's, that's absolutely true. And I remember when that book came out, I remember reading that book, and I have seen um, exceptions to those rules, uh, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, there has been some pretty interesting correlations that we've seen using that blood type diet. Now, I don't, I don't recommend that type of uh, uh, diet, Robert, mm -hmm. but they have been, because uh, I've seen exceptions to that rule uh, where I've had to change people based upon, the people came in on the blood type, type diet and they didn't do well we changed made some changes and they didn't fit the the rules in the book but they ended up doing well but as a general rule i think that the philosophy behind it was was sound i don't know whether it clinically panned out the way it was supposed to be but it certainly made sense and and the historical aspect and how he came up with it and or whoever came up with it how he, it's explained in the book um it, it makes a lot of sense it it Actually, uh, I was very excited when I read it because I was hoping that it was going to pan out the way I thought it was going to pan sure. out. But the that you're making exactly is, uh, I completely agree with it because these are the types of things we have to first uh, do is observe, and then we form a hypothesis. And then once that hypothesis has been formed, then we test that hypothesis and then see how many times does it come out to be true versus false. And that's the purest form of science. That's actually how... Uh, the definition of science is it's observation, forming a hypothesis, and then testing that hypothesis. Right, right. Well, and, you know, that's the thing, again, I, and I appreciated Diadamo for, uh, you know, not being dogmatic about it either, even though the people got would read it and would freak out because they take everything as, as dogma, and if you talk to some of these doctors, they weren't, they didn't come out, come out to say, I'm going to write a diet book so I can sell a million copies. They, they, they said, these are my observations. And then people are always looking for a gospel. Don't you know? They're always looking for somebody to tell them what to do instead of look at these observations, pay attention, try them out, see what works, see what doesn't. And, you know, ultimately we've got to be our own Sherlock Holmes in these cases. And, you know, we always encourage folks to do that. It's not that we don't want to reach out when necessary to those that can help us. Uh, but that concept of that we always have to be saved from some diet book is also not the optimal idea. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's one of those things that people are looking for the quick fix and they're looking for the solution. And, you know, I would be lying if I didn't admit that sometimes I've looked at things and seen something and thought, okay, this is going to be an answer that's going to help me and help other people, uh, help my patients, and really hoping that it ends up being valid. And then when you test it, you don't see it to be Valid. It may work great in one or two people, but it doesn't work great in, in the other people. In fact, my my uh, partner in the lab before we closed the lab down was very very bad with that. He'd experiment on himself. He'd get a response and he'd come in and it was definitive. He was an engineer by training, so to him, you know, it was always the same way. So he'd come in and say X, Y, and Z. This is it. And I, I would tell him it's not that. And he said he'd argue and this is what happened with me. Blah blah blah. And I tell him, listen, you are a dynamic 
system, mm-hmm. and this isn't engineering. This is not a. There's a reason we right. call it practicing medicine, and the re- reason we call it, you know, medicine is an art because it's artistic, and we practice medicine, and we call our patients patients because they have to be patient with us because <laughs> if they yes, didn't have exactly. patience with us, they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, continue coming to us. So, mm. this is not a precise science. No, you're right. Well, we try to help out and uh, give you some clues and, and share these principles. We have a, a question of the day. I'm not even going to play the theme. I don't want to run into the, the, the time out with this stuff. But uh, this is from uh, Terry. She says, hey, Robert, Dr. Batar, thank you so much for bringing the healing word to us. I really appreciate your show and listen to every one of them on the podcast. I have a friend who was just diagnosed with cancer after many tests and uh, brushings. I don't know what that, that were negative. Uh, it's a tumor of the biliary branch to the liver. They claim it is rare and aggressive. They were successful in getting a stent in one branch, but not the other. Of course, now they want to do the big two, chemo and radiation, uh, because they're afraid to try more surgery. I'm trying to help her support her own immune system to help resolve the issue. I was wondering about uh, some things that you would do. Any suggestions? Thanks so much. Now, again, we're gene- generic here because we're diseased. this is not our patient. Uh, she mentioned something called Canjest, which is a kind of an herbal concoction that is good for the liver. And, of course, there are a thousand ways to get the liver functioning properly. And I think we've got to start, obviously, there. This is a cancer within the liver, is it not? Uh, yeah, this is. it sounds like it's it's one of those, uh, when she's talking about brushings, maybe they did endoscopies and mm. what they call the uh, uh, pancreatography is where they're actually going in. They're doing, they go through the... So they're um, taking cell cell samples to see what's there. Yeah, like retrograde um, uh, procedures, endoscopic procedures, and then they take samples. Um, I think that's what she's talking about. But, you know, Robert, this is one of those type of questions. It, you could sit here for five hours, six hours, and still yes. not go over all the things. And it's it's not really um, it, it's not really doing the the person justice that's asking the question to even try to attempt to answer sure. something like this. I mean, look at what Ty did with his um, cancer series, and that's. There's you know, so much. Well, yeah, you're many, right. You know, it's just, it's just, that's what I would tell people. I'd tell them, go watch that series, and you'll see many different things that can be done, many different approaches, many different people, many different results. And, uh, you know, cancer is one of those things that you can't just try to get one little tidbit and think that that's going to no. um, be you think about that's going to be definitive in if cancer is manifesting in the liver, good Lord, that's bad. Because you think about all the ways it compensates before the liver just totally gives out. It's one of the most regenerative organs we have. I'm not saying, you know, your friend is, is, is beyond repair because the liver is an extraordinary organ that can regenerate. If you get rid of the stuff it doesn't need and give the body what it does, these are the basic concepts you can find in the nine steps to keep the doctor away, the international best-selling book by Dr. Rashid Bittar. There's some good stuff in the book TMB and I wrote, too, called Unlock the Power to Heal. Check it out. All the links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll be back, hopefully with not too much adrenal burnout, after the break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Well, this story could be timely, Dr. Bittar. CNN's covering a news story about adrenal burnout and giving some signs of adrenal burnout. Sometimes I think I might have adrenal burnout, even though I love what I do, but I'm relentless. I don't stop. And, you know, sometimes people got to remind me, dude, just back off a little bit, a little bit. Come on. Uh, but uh, it's a CNN story, and they're talking about some signs, like you're drawing blanks occasionally. I don't do that very much, do I, Super Don? I do pretty well on that. 
Um, you, you do all right. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Your cuts take forever to heal. Your cramps for le- ladies, PMS, are lethal. That is, I mean, they're just brutal uh, cramping. GI tract troubles. Uh, you can't stop scratching, uncontrollable itching. That's interesting. Your dreams are downright wacky. Uh, of course, that if you ate a pizza late at night with everything on it, that could do that. Uh, your head pounds on Saturdays. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, Dr. Batari, you see a lot of adrenal burnout over the years. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I find interesting, first of all, is that adrenal exhaustion mm-hmm. is not something that people took seriously or doctors took seriously in the conventional realm. It was always minimized. You know, people kind of ridiculed, uh, ridiculed it. So that's interesting that now CNN's doing articles about talking about adrenal burnout. Um, that last one that you said about Saturday, that's interesting. I wonder whether that's a coffee withdrawal because Monday through Friday they're having a lot of coffee and Saturday they don't have coffee. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, by and maybe after brutal much week, everybody yeah. could fall into adrenal exhaustion, couldn't they? Sure. Well, I mean, listen, we're a nation who, who uh, is one thing to love coffee, Superdon. It's another thing to live on it <laughs> that you wonder if the adrenals uh, can function without it. I mean, you just wonder. Yeah. Well, my golden triad for adrenal exhaustion, which I'm looking for, is first – question is if the person has a problem getting out of bed in the morning so they have uh they, they just have they have to keep on hitting the snooze button and they just feel exhausted in the morning when they get out uh mm-hmm. get up second is late afternoon in the uh, between three to five where they have this absolute fatigue and they need a fix like a coffee or a donut or something they need some kind of sugar intake and they find that if they can recline their head even 45 degrees back in a chair or or preferably take a nap they just feel an um, immense amount of relief uh, but the mm-hmm. reclining 45 degrees also makes them feel a lot better and then the third classic component is that if they miss their normal bedtime they say half hour, 45 minutes an hour past their bedtime they get this second surge of energy where they want to solve world hunger and go out hmm. and organize the, the garage and just do all sorts of other things. So those three, if a person has all three of those, they have adrenal exhaustion. If they have two out of those three, they're, they're pretty close to being Maybe on their gone. way. All right. Well, listen, we've got lots of tools for it. We've talked about over the years. I don't, I, I don't want to go into them right now because I know that one of the things I've been talking to folks about, and there's a link in the show notes at robertscottbell.com to vanvcd.org. And this is the vaccinated and non-vaccinated children's data. If you have not submitted your children's data, again, it's not going to be shared. It's not sold. There's nothing like this. We're trying to collate this data for information purposes about kids who are vaccinated versus those who are not. And, Dr. Batar, do you have any reports on this already? Because people have been uh, filling this thing out. Oh, it's been crazy, and I'll tell you, it's impressive. The the people behind this thing, whatever they did, they, they really came up with something phenomenal because this is a multi-million dollar ongoing real-time study and i'll give you an example of one of the things anybody can go in and do the queries at the at the end which i found amazing i went in there and i was just doing some things and i found uh, if you look at the vaccinated versus non-vaccinated children the vaccinated children uh that were in this so far i guess because it's constantly changing uh, a little over 500 kids were vaccinated uh 200 and some were not vaccinated and when you look at the data for example the developmental milestones more than 25% of the children that were vaccinated are behind their peer group compared to the non-vaccinated children, less than a half of 1% that were behind their peer group. Now, if that doesn't show you right off the bat, I mean, That's half significant. Yeah. Percent versus 25%? Well, what other amazing. markers do you have real quick? Because we've got about 30 or 40 seconds left before we got to go. 
people. I think these people that whoever came up with this, they're they're genius. I, I don't know, Robert. That's great. Do this. No, I, but I'm I'm happy to promote it because I think anybody can access the data. That's the beautiful thing. It's open source, and it's like you know, like our friend Brian Hooker, you know, trying to. T- collate secret data coming out and you, you're shocked if we have this data out for everybody to use and access what a game changer this is and we're finding that the non-vaccinated kids are excelling past not only those 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 life point markers but you know in, in scholastic tests they're ahead of their peers by far so uh dr batar i appreciate you reminding me about that vanvcd.org if you haven't gone there it's linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com click on the banner take it right there Fill it out. You can access when, and see what's going on when you don't vaccinate versus vaccinated kids. Dr. Batard, thanks, my friend. Tell them what they need to know before we go. That the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show.